Hello and welcome to the Richard Grannon Podcast with me, your host, Richard Grannon. Hello boys and girls. Today, I'd like to give you an updated test for narcissism or any cluster B personality. I can give it to you inside of 15 seconds. Simply tell the person no. You can stop watching this video. If you don't like me, you're not a fan of me going on, or you're not a fan of me, you can switch this off now. Cheerio. If you are still here, let's talk about why that works. The cluster B personality disorders, narcissism, histrionic, uh, and social personality disorder, and borderline personality disorders, are marked by a codependent neurotic need to feed off the reactions of other people. The reactions they're feeding off may be terror, they may be chaos, they may be sympathy and compassion, they may be loathing, they may be massive amounts of admiration, uh, a sort of a godlike worship for that person, particularly in just straightforward narcissism. But it's also marked not just by a need to force reactions from the people around uh, that cluster B personality, which is called dramatic in the DSM. It's described as being one of the dramatic um, personality disorders because it needs to create reactions within other people in order to survive, in order to feel alive. Not literally, but in the figurative, broken, half-world, half-light, delusional, psychotic, schizophrenic space in which the true personality disorder actually exists of the cluster B. Um, they believe that if, they don't believe, the personality disorder functions as though if they weren't receiving these emotional responses from people, terror, fear, loathing, massive amounts of admiration, godlike worship, uh, overwhelming lust, um, huge boundaryless amounts of empathy and sympathy, that they would simply disappear and cease to be. And they need it. And they're exploitative. And they're entitled. I haven't seen exploitativeness and entitlement necessarily listed as one of the traits for these um, personality disorders. Um, but it, the traits that are listed kind of point to that as, a, as being a thing. But for me personally, in my experience, in a little bit of work I've done with people who either have cluster B personality disorder or are the victims of the same um, and the research that I've done, I think entitlement and exploitation are very high on my list. I don't equally weight the traits. I don't look at the nine given traits of narcissism and think that they're equally weighted. I don't think that vanity, um, grandiosity or arrogance are nearly as dangerous in and of themselves as exploitativeness and entitlement. Specifically when I'm saying entitled here, I mean that I would feel as a, somebody with NPD entitled to steal, to take literally or figuratively from you so that I can feel better. I feel entitled to feel good so much that if you have to suffer or many yous, multiple versions of you, many people have to suffer just so I can feel better, that's okay with me. That's a level of entitlement that I'm talking about here. And the explosiveness is self-explanatory. So sometimes I need to reach inside of your cookie jar. Sometimes I need to stretch my straw across the room into your milkshake and drink it up. There must be an, an invasion of your boundary 
in order for this to function. Um, I was actually, I don't know how I stumbled across it, I was just reading something the other day, casually. Um, it was another description of borderline personality disorder from somebody else's point of view. And I was like, oh, I actually quite like this, this is quite fresh. But it actually focused on the fact that when you're interacting with somebody with borderline personality disorder, and when you're interacting with somebody with narcissistic personality disorder, you will frequently feel invaded, you will frequently feel judged, and one of the favorite weapons that I personally think is more of a borderline tactic than a narcissistic tactic is to judge you as being morally deficient, is to judge you to attack you with a boundary-breaking judgment of something that you completely didn't consent to and to act as though you are a false prophet, to act as though you had advertised yourself as this, but in reality you're this. It's very confusing for the target because you, you're first you'll be thinking, hang on a second, did I advertise myself as that? Secondly, am I really not that? Um, is there really a huge gap between you know, I do advertise myself, I suppose, as a decent human being, and you're saying I'm a piece of shit. And then the third thing you go into is, well, maybe it's true. This is a, I wouldn't call it a logical fallacy, and I don't think it's a software fault. I think it's a pattern of behavior that reasonable people must go through, a thought pattern that a reasonable human being must go through should be self-doubt. You can't, I mean, to have zero self-doubt and to always assume that you're in the right, would have you vectoring in for a certain type of narcissism. It would be mentally ill. So the reasonable, objective, Socratic thing to do is to pick up the accusation and go, how do we know that this is true? Where does this come from? Is there a scenario where it is not true? What's the balanced approach to this? And so on and so forth. But of course, if one person is rigidly saying, I'm always right, no matter what, and the other person is saying, I might be wrong sometimes, let's explore that. And they run along a timeline playing a competitive game with each other. This one's not consenting to it, probably doesn't even realize they're in a competition. This one is all about the competition and keeping it covert and hidden. Who's gonna win? Who's gonna win? This one's like, win what? The, 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 the target is going, win? <laughs> I didn't even know I was in a game. I thought I was in a relationship. No, 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 you're in a game, silly. This one's gonna win. Because if I'm always assuming that I'm always right and you're always wrong, when you say to me, hey dude, yeah, when you say that it's a bit mean, I'll go, fuck you, no it isn't, and just reject it. So that requires a continuous pattern of behavior that is dipping my hand into your cookie jar, that is pushing your boundaries constantly, because I need to train you to think that that is normal. So every day, in every way, I just gotta keep pushing and pushing and pushing the boundaries, ratcheting up the demands. This is why the targets of uh, narcissistic abuse frequently report uh, feelings of despair and helplessness and feeling like nothing, nothing I do is ever good enough. I always fall below the level of perfectionism that the narcissistic personality is driving towards and particularly when the narcissism is, is flavored as borderline personality disorder narcissism, um, it will be, you will be judged as not as good as you promised to be and then punished for that. Punished as worthless. Um, so under those circumstances, 
the fastest and most direct way to test to see if somebody has, is, is sick and has this particular sickness is to simply say no to them and see what the response is. No to a demand, no to an accusation, no to some kind of boundary push. Uh, you might find yourself, you know, let me think of a, an example that is a little bit more nuanced and more subtle. You're two weeks into a relationship with somebody. They don't really know your family very well. Um, they've never met any of your family. You're only two weeks in and you've told them something personal. You've shared something personal about your family and now they're making inappropriate comments about your family, about people that they don't know. They've taken that little bit of personal information you've given them and now they're judging or criticizing members of your family that you don't know. That then is a, t a pure boundary break. And if you say, hey, please don't do that, depending on the response that you get, you can gauge how sick the person is. It's not only possible for a, 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 a civilian in non-clinical conditions to diagnose and nor should any of us be saying, oh, I've diagnosed somebody as having NPD. I'm not qualified to do that. You're not qualified to do that. And even a qualified psychotherapist is gonna struggle unless they get the consent of the person to be tested. And even if they get the consent of the person to be tested, well, one of the hallmarks of NPD and the other um, uh, personality disorders that come under that umbrella term is lying. Lying your fucking ass off. So can we ever really trust the results of the test? I personally think you're probably better off looking at how that person interacts with you over a timeline because they'll be off their game sometimes. Sometimes they'll be tired. Sometimes they'll be worn out. Sometimes they'll just forget and the mask will slip. And you also want to look at how they're interacting with other people over time, which you know a psychotherapist never gets to do. So what I'm saying is, I'm saying two things there. One is, it's, we should be humble and say, I can't, I get people coming to me in seminars and they're like, my husband is a psychopath with ADHD and da 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 da. And I'm sat there and I'm going, yes, says you, you know, we need qualifiers here. You've got to say, I think, based on what I've researched, it seems to me, these are important. Nobody should be that certain. I'm not that certain. You know, I get stories coming and people say, what do you think this person has? And I'm like, dude, I don't know. I'm not qualified for that. So on the one hand, we should be humble and go, well, it looks like this. It seems to be something like this. And on the other hand, we need to appreciate that even for the uh, qualified um, clinicians and psychotherapists, it's a challenge for them to really know. But this is a good way. Now, if the, if the narcissistic personality disorder person gets onto what you're doing or gets onto you being tested, they could be sweet as pie and be like, oh, that's cool, you totally don't have to do that for me. If you keep doing it and you find certain subjects, there are certain subjects that these people really don't wanna to be told no on. There are certain things they'll take a no, most things they won't. It depends on, your, on, the, on the power dynamic of the relationship you have. Most of the time, they actually expect obedience. They actually expect you to do as you're told. And whether they fly into an overt narcissistic rage when you say no, or they go into a massive sulk when you say no, or you find them going, oh really, it's no, is it? Okay, that's fine. And then you find six hours later, 12 hours later, you're being punished. You're seeing a huge response to a no, a simple no. Now, whether they have narcissistic personality disorder, another cluster B personality disorder, or any personality disorder, 
you don't really need that conclusion. And I would sort of say, try and, try and lean back from the heavy conclusions on people. I don't think it's essential uh, to your healing to rubber stamp somebody with psychopathy, with elements of Asperger syndrome, some ADHD and uh, obsessive compulsive personality disorder and it's not, you know, beyond a certain point, beyond a certain point, and it is true up to a certain point, but beyond a certain point, it's not really about them anymore. It's actually about you. That's what's essential to your healing is what drew you into that relationship and what kept you there. And what we can say with certainty is that certain relationship dynamics that are playing out again and again over time look like a narcissistically abusive relational style. That way we're avoiding possibly misdiagnosing uh, another human being, which you shouldn't, that's a boundary break. You shouldn't really be doing that. Um, but you can say with, with um, a definite certainty, okay, when I do this and my partner behaves like this and says this X, Y, and Z, that is emotional abuse, that is narcissistic abuse. Where that's coming from, that's their karma, that's their thing, but I can say it's definitely that. So the simple assertion of a boundary and just saying, yeah, I'm not, I'm not gonna do that for you, no, and smiling, shouldn't cause a negative emotional reaction in any normal person who has no issue. That's, that's outrageous. I mean, could you imagine if I'm going through the world and I need others, I, like they must treat me in the way that I demand or they must do certain things for me, God damn it. And I punish them when they don't or I sulk when they don't or I become enraged when they don't. Just look at it objectively, like a third person point of view. How do I sound? Pretty fucking crazy and unreasonable, right? And if I don't actually have a full blown mental health diagnosis coming, I'm certainly being a bit of a fucking prick. You can certainly say I'm an arsehole. And what do you do with somebody who's a bit of an arsehole? You pull away from them. You just, you just avoid contact with people who are fundamentally toxic. So I would say that that is probably the most reliable test uh, to date that I've seen is to actually just say no to them. So you're, when they're asking you to do something, people will ask you overtly, like, can you give me some money or can I borrow your car or can you do a certain thing for me? But they'll also ask you covertly. So it's good for targets, codependent, black sheep, people with CPTSD, whatever you want to call it, to become aware of when they are being asked, coerced, asked, coerced, covert, contracted into doing something, guilt tripped or shamed into doing something, where they're not being overtly asked, but they're being covertly asked. One of the things that narcissistic personality types will do frequently is they will covertly coerce you into giving way more of your time and your attention than they deserve, one way or another. So I don't think any narcissist out there is gonna be like, give me all your fucking time and your attention, but notice in the pattern of your relating. So I've had, I've had one experience where every single week there was a drama, a crisis, an episode, this thing that was all about her that made, and, and not only did she have a problem, but that problem was made my problem. And I consented to that, that's my, responsibility is consenting to letting somebody make their problems my problem that my their problem my problem yeah that was right 
and I would also be drawn into the solution. So I'd be like, this is the problem I've got. It's a goddamn drone. I'd be like, okay, this is a problem that you've got. How can we fix this? And then I'd be drawn into the solution. I wonder looking back, what would have happened if I'd just gone, oh, right, that sounds terrible. And left it at that. That's, yes, I hear you. Almost like feeding it back. My boss at work is horrible to me. Your boss at work. Your boss at work is horrible to you. Wow. I can only imagine how, how that must make you feel. I just know I'm not getting myself involved. I'm not offering solutions, nothing at all. So that's one way of being asked covertly to keep your time, keep your attention, keep your focus, all of your resources on that one person. Another way is, is when somebody just is communicating with you at a certain level and in a certain style. So a particular, um, when we're talking narcissism, and particularly when it's borderline personality disorder, which turns up with a different flavor, there's a particular style that borderlines will, will more likely use. There's more vulnerability there. There's more victimhood there. They like narcissistic supply, but their narcissistic supply, they like sympathy. They like their milkshake flavored with a lot of sympathy. And you'll often hear them talking obsessively about the subject of sympathy, empathy, and compassion. When somebody is stuck on that subject, just over and over and over again, constantly complaining that the world is not empathic, compassionate, or sympathetic enough, that is somebody who's now stuck in a developmental, in an infantile developmental phase where they basically feel like mummy's teat was drawn away too quickly. Daddy's attention was not given me enough before I was read and they, they withdrew. It's not, it's not healthy and it's not an indicator of strong boundaries and of strong mental health to be obsessed with empathy. Not everybody who's obsessed with empathy has borderline personality disorder, but everybody I've seen who's got borderline personality disorder is obsessed with empathy being given to them. So they'll talk a lot of empathy, but you'll notice they're the least empathic people you can be around. The borderline personality disorder is like, empathy, people should be empathetic. Empathy, empathy, compassion, compassion. And what they mean is, shove the empathy pie in this hole here so that I can eat it. And they themselves are cold, dismissive, uh, um, uh, reaction-seeking, abrasive, you know, if somebody is in pain and they're near them, they're like, I'm not interested in hearing this weakness. Two seconds later, they're like, why does nobody feel sorry for me? Why am I not receiving any fucking empathy? <laughs> Which is why they drive a lot of people completely bonkers. So what you'll get is a communication style from the, the more borderline type, which is boundary breaking in a softer way rather than the harsher narcissistic style, which is, can be a bit bullying the overt narcissist, which is bullying, which is like, hey, do this for me now. This is more like, hey, hey girl, we're girlfriends, we're so close. We're just, oh, we're the bestest of mates. And you're like, I met you three weeks ago in a yoga class, I don't really know you like that. And the over assumption of intimacy is classic for the borderline personality relational style. The over assumption of intimacy is also a boundary break. It, boundary break is not always, hey, like a sort of um, yang energy, invasive, hey, you do this for me now. Sometimes it's a yin energy, hey, come over here and do this for me now. That's still a boundary break. 
In one, I'm penetrating you, and in the other one, I'm sucking the energy out of you. Oh, Freud, where are you now? Um, so, you've got to beware of that. So sometimes you'll be uh, interacting with somebody in a certain way where they're over, they're talking to you as though you've got massive amounts of intimacy, but the expectation behind that is, give me a load of time and attention. And sometimes you have to, you get to a certain place with the person, you're like, ha, huh, the amount of time and attention I'm giving you, like in a male-female context, it's kind of like we're lovers, or kind of like we're girlfriend and boyfriend, or kind of like husband and wife. But in the real world, outside of this fantasy of the communication, of the reality tunnel that you're spinning, we're not. So what's happening? I'll tell you what's happening is, you're asking for more and more of my time, and more and more of, uh, of my attention, in a way that is actually completely inappropriate to where we are up to in terms of our relationship. This can happen in sexual and non-sexual relationships. The, the gender doesn't, it doesn't matter a jot, neither does ethnicity or economic class or education level. It's across the board. The wonderful thing about uh, narcissism, and is narcissism is a wonderful thing. No, the wonderful thing about narcissism is it transcends all boundaries. You know, you, it's just a human issue. Um, there's no, there's no, it's like doesn't owned by one culture, one gender, it's just, it's just a, a human condition. So, there you go, I hope you enjoyed that, I hope it's useful. If you're not sure and you want to test somebody, try saying no. When they are asking you directly or indirectly, be direct with your no. So whether you're getting a direct ask, do this for me, say no and smile, or an indirect ask where you're like, hey, you can turn around and be like, oh wow, it really seems like, you know, you're, you're asking for a lot of my time right now, and I'm just like, or the subject matter you're drawing into right now, I don't really know you like that. I don't really want to hear about all your, I don't know, um, previous sexual experiences, and, but I don't really, we're not that close. So can you just like chill with that? No normal person would become enraged by that. So a person might be hurt by that. They might be like, oh, that doesn't feel very good. I've just been told to get back in my lane. Ugh. I need to think about what I'm doing and why I'm interacting. The, the person, the responsibility would go inward. It would be like, okay, the locus of control is internal. What am I doing that elicited that response? And then you could turn around and be like, dude, I'm so sorry. I just, I, we've not known each other long enough. You're completely right. I shouldn't have said that stuff to you. Um, Fucking, I'm a weirdo, sorry about that, won't, won't happen again. The, when the, the locus of control is purely external and the superego is busted and the ego is busted through trauma, as you will get with full-blown borderline personality disorder and social personality disorder and narcissistic personality disorder, the superego at that point is always I, there is no I, am completely in the right at all times and you are always wrong. So just be careful of this. When you hear borderlines and vulnerable narcissists going, oh, I feel like shit, I know I've done wrong, I'm the worst person. If it's true, malignant borderline personality disorder, that's all nonsense. That's just a game to lure you back in. It's, it's um, uh, I call it ostentatious vulnerability. Other people have different terms for it, like fake conscientiousness, or um, uh, you, could, you could call it like a, like a false self-awareness or false self-accountability and it's nonsense. 
All they're doing is trying to elicit the right emotional response from you that they need. So whatever you're getting from the person, just set a boundary, smile and say no and see what response you get. And you will probably find out quite a lot very, very quickly. I hope that helps. Thank you very much for your time and your attention and I look forward to speaking to you soon. Cheers.